So um, I'm, I'm going to put the tissue box right here because I know I'm going to need it while I'm sharing today. If anybody else needs it, you can come up. But this is really, uh, I love that I get to do this. This is The timing of this is pretty amazing, and you'll find out why as we're talking. But today, we're celebrating Father's Day, so I get to talk about dads. Um, I'm aware that that's, for some of us, no problem, it's great. For some people, I just want to say on the outset that that's hard to talk about dads. Um, maybe you're divorced, maybe you grew up without a dad, Maybe you wish things were different, fixed, whatever else it is. And um, if you're here today and that's your story and this is hard, um, I'm sorry. If you're here today and you're divorced and you wish your mom and you wish your husband was sitting here with you, but he's not because he left or for some other reason, I'm sorry. So I just want you to know I'm I'm aware of that. I'm also aware that some people would love to be a dad and haven't been able to be a dad yet. Um, and I'll walk through that, and that's part of my story I'll, I'll talk about as well in a little while. Um, but I also know that we need to talk about dads, and we need to celebrate dads. It's an important thing, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. So I'm going to pray. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll get stuck in. Thank you, um, Lord, for today. And I do pray for all of us as we are talking about this and thinking about it, that, um, that you would minister to each of us individually in, in the place that we're at, that you would bring healing in the places that um, need healing, you would bring encouragement in the places that need encouragement, and um, you would remind us at the end of the day, no matter what else has happened, that you are our dad. You are our Heavenly Father, and you are perfect, and you are good, and you are faithful, and we can trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So um, as Ann said, I work for a charity called Young Life, and we work with young people. And um, we take kids away to camp every summer, and uh, something fun in a couple days, I get to actually take Aunt and Helen to see our camp. So we're flying to Scotland on Tuesday, and I get to show them camp. And right now, kids are arriving at Young Life Camp in Scotland from across Europe, because we're doing two weeks of camp for kids who live on military bases from all over Europe. And they're going to get to hear about Jesus and have, hopefully, the best week of their life. And it's an amazing thing. You go to camp, and we do this thing where you hear a talk, and then you go back later, and you have a thing called cabin time, where you hang out with your kids. So guy leaders will be with boys and girl leaders will be with girls and you go back and the first night is tough. The first night of cabin time is tough because everybody's exhausted. You've been on a train or a plane or a ferry or in a car all day and you're hyped up and you're having all this stuff and then you know, we try to give them sugar to keep them going for a little while and then they go back to their cabin times and they crash and you're trying to be like, hey, let's talk about Jesus. They're like, oh, I just wanna sleep. So the first night, cabin time's not amazing normally. Second night gets better. Third night, even better. And then if it's a week-long camp, by the fourth night, kids are really ready to share. And here's what I've experienced. I've been, doing, um, I've been doing this young life for about 24 years. And before that, I was a youth minister in a church. And here's what I've learned. And here's what I've experienced. Um, if you're with a group of boys and you're walking through the gospel with them and you get to the point where you're talking about sin and need and brokenness, you will 
always, always wind up talking about their relationship with their dad. Always. By night four. Always. You'll hear about a kid talking about how uh, I've never met my father. I've heard that story a lot. Or my dad moved away when I was three and I only see him rarely. Or I'm scared of my dad. Or I miss my dad. Or you hear sometimes, which I love, my dad's my hero. My dad's my favorite person on the planet Earth. I want to be just like my dad one day. Boys do talk about their moms. I'm not saying they don't, but I'm telling you the pivotal relationship for so many of these boys when they finally get to a point where they're ready to share their heart is with their dad. They talk about it. And you may have heard the term a father wound before, but if you haven't, there's a lot of boys and girls who carry what they call a father wound. And it's this this wound that happens when you feel like uh, you had a poor, bad, distant relationship with your dad, where you never felt like he actually really loved you for whatever reason. And it's real, and it's hard. We took, uh, the first year we came over, we took 19 young people away to Young Life Camp in America. And uh, I was actually with uh, a girl yesterday whose husband went on that trip, met Christ on that trip, and, um, and now they're married, and, and they have a great relationship. They have a great marriage. He was the only kid on that trip who had a dad at home that he had a good relationship with. Out of 19 kids, he was the only one. That's a reality as we do ministry with kids across the UK, is there's just dads aren't around. Homes are broken, dads have disappeared, or there is no dad, there's no marriage, and moms have been left with the burden to try to raise their kids themselves all over the place. Um, there's, a, there's a lady um, that I got to know in Young Life um, named Brooke Real, who's now on Young Life staff, but before that, she was a counselor For young people, for 11 to 18-year-olds, she was a professional counselor. She spent 10 years meeting with kids, counseling them uh, about all kinds of different issues. And I asked her this question. I said, how many of those kids, how many of those kids over the years, 10 years that you saw counseling had, as far as you know, a mom and a dad at home who had a great relationship, a healthy, loving relationship? And you know what the answer was? Zero. Zero. The kids who came to see her were the same kids that we took to camp. There were no dads around. Or the mom and the dads were broken up and they had a poor, hard struggle of a relationship. Then a few years ago, uh, I went to a, a, a retreat with this organization called CVM, Christian Vision for Men. You guys ever heard of them, CVM? Well, they're, they're here in the UK, they started here in the UK, and their whole vision is to reach men, is to, do, is to, um, to share the gospel and reach men for Christ. Because, as they said before, we are unusual, by the way, this is an incredibly unusual church. Men are disappearing from the church faster than you can possibly imagine in the UK. They're disappearing. Um, you go to most, uh, you know, 
maybe 50 to 100 size congregations and you will find 65 to 75 percent of the people in the room are women. Men are disappearing for whatever reason. Maybe they don't like to sing. Maybe they don't like to stick their hand in the air. I don't know what it is. Mostly, I think it's just they don't know Jesus and they don't want to know Jesus. But here's a stat that blew my mind. They shared this at this retreat that I went to about 15 years ago. You ready for this? Blew my mind. They said this. If you reach a young person, and this really struck me, if you reach a young person, there's a 3% chance you can reach the rest of the family if you reach the young person. I was like, wow, that's, that's okay, but that's not huge. Said this. If you reach the mom for Christ, that goes up to 17% chance you can reach the family. I was like, well, that's a pretty good improvement. But then they said this, but if you can reach the dad, if you can reach the father for Christ, it goes from 3% with the young person, 17% with the mom, to 93% chance you can reach the entire family if you can reach the dad. 93% chance. You can go to the CVM website and read this. It's still on there. The statistic, the research is on there. And that blew my mind. And I thought, well, this is why the enemy attacks dads. He can destroy the family. If he can just get rid of the dad, he can wipe this whole thing out, and then people just stop showing up. They stop giving their life to Christ. They stop caring. That blew me away. Does that blow you away? Does that wrench your heart like it does mine? And it's why we need to talk about dads and fathers, and husbands, and we need to talk about it, and we need to lean into it. We need to celebrate them, we do encourage them, and we need to build them up, because we need them. Bad. Society says we don't need dads, by the way, anymore, right? That we've got the scientific ability now for anybody to have a kid without a dad that wants to. And I'm telling you, if we want our kids to have a successful life, a confident life where they can do well in life. They need a dad around as much as we can possibly do it. And we can't fix everything. And I know that you want that. And some people have had that for a while and now they don't. And it's heartbreaking. And I know that. But we need it. And we need to encourage our men in that. Right? So uh, biblically, I want to talk about that for a minute. That's kind of my experience and my my, uh, my thoughts from uh, where we're at in life. Biblically, God created man and woman. And I love the picture that we get in Genesis 2 because he creates men and women and he says this. He's, he creates a man and he says, you know what? It's not good for him to be alone. And he was right. And I, and I love the picture of this, right? He created a man and even though he had a perfect relationship with God, there was no sin in the world, Right? He's doing great with God. They're walking together. Even in that moment, God knew he didn't need to be alone. He needed a partner in life that was going to do him, make him so much better and make her so much better. So he created woman, and he created them equal, right, before God in his eyes to work together. Let me tell you, I love being a dad, but I love it because I get to do it with Beth Ann. Because she's an amazing mom, and she makes me a better person every day. Right? And we do this thing together. And that's how God designed it to happen. We need each other. 
I compliment her, she compliments me. When I'm mad, she's calm. When she's mad, I'm calm, mostly. You know, we need each other. When she's worn out with one of the kids, she's like, I have no more patience for that child. Amazingly, I do. I don't know how that happens. That's the Lord. And vice versa, right? And it works together. God designed that. And then he did this, and this blows my mind. Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. He did something absolutely earth-shattering. Here's what he did. He said, when you pray, I want you to pray like this. He said, our Father who art in heaven, Abba, our dad. You see, the Old Testament had these illusions, had these metaphors and similes for God like a dad. He is like a father to many. You can read these in Psalms and other places in the Old Testament. But Jesus changed it. He changed it from like a dad to a picture that he is right now a dad, your dad. He changed it. He switched it around. Then he told the story of the prodigal son, right? And as we all know, when you hear a parable, a story with a point is what it is that Jesus tells, there's always a character that represents God, and there's always a character that represents us in the parables, always, right? And in the parable of the prodigal son, the dad is God, right? He is the picture of God, and he's a dad. And he's a dad whose son doesn't want to have anything to do with him anymore. And his older son is totally legalistic and rigid and angry. He's got these two sons, and both of them aren't doing well. And the dad is this picture of unconditional love, acceptance. Jesus was trying to give us a very clear picture of who God is to us. A dad, a heavenly father, a perfect, loving, heavenly father who loves you and me unconditionally. And he did that, I believe, for a couple reasons. One is to remind us as dads, as husbands, this is what it's supposed to look like. Here's the model. But also to remind us this, if your dad, if that's a failure, if that's a broken relationship, if that's a hurting relationship, I want you to know that in spite of that, you have another dad. You have a heavenly father who's crazy about you, who loves you with all of his heart, right? That's the biblical picture. And then, I love this, Paul, in Ephesians chapter 1, makes it even clearer. He says this, Ephesians chapter 1. He says this, um, in love, talking about God, he predestined us, ready for this, for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. We have been adopted. We're not forgotten. We're not on the outside. We have been pulled in. We are in the family. If you know Jesus, you are a son or a daughter of the utmost king. 
the creator of the universe. You are one of his kids. He is your father, and he loves you. Isn't that powerful? We all need to hear that, by the way. Desperately, we have a dad who's crazy about us, who loves us like crazy, even if our own earthly one doesn't. So why is this a big deal to me? Now, this is probably where I'll tear up a little bit. This is personal me because of my own past, right? So I grew up, I have four brothers. My eldest brother was like the superstar, sports star. He could do no wrong in every sport. Do you have a brother like that that you just hate because they can do no wrong? Straight A's, captain of this, trophies everywhere in their room, and you're like, yeah, I don't like you. Then I have another brother, second brother, this is pretty typical, who rebelled, was wanting to be the opposite of my oldest brother, right? So he became the artist. You know, he, he grew his hair really long when my oldest brother had nice straight-laced hair. My next brother grew his hair down to the middle of his back. You know, the rebel, smoking pot in his room. And he, I mean, he's, yeah, he's a rebel. He's great. He's crazy. He's a total hippie. He grew up in the 70s. He was an absolute hippie. Then my third brother, I wasn't planning to say this, but this is fun. You know, we need to laugh a little bit. My third brother is a complete redneck. And if you don't know what that means, it means that his favorite thing to do is go hunting. Uh, There are three objects that are in every room in his house, even to this day. And I promise in every room, there's shotgun shells in every room, there's camouflage in every room, and there's some sort of dead animal on the wall in every room in his house, even to this day. Yes, he's a redneck. How we came from the same mom and dad, I do not know. We're all totally different. Ridiculous. Then me came seven years later. What in the world? I don't even know how to, yeah. I'm the reverend right? Every time I go home and we have a big gathering, they're like, Michael, you pray. I'm like, no one else knows how to pray? No, you're the reverend. You have to pray. I'm like, okay, hope I get this right. You know, I'm the only one. Last Christmas, three years ago, we were home for Christmas. I have four brothers, all their kids and all of their kids, and we had 35 people at my house. And uh, I'm the only one that's allowed to pray and whatever. Okay. And then my little brother sells shoes. I mean, what in the world? But he sells them at Saks Fifth Avenue, and a pair of shoes cost $5,000, right? Ridiculous. So he's been selling clothes his whole life. Where that came from, don't ask me. He loves to sell clothes. He wears a suit every day. I only own one suit, and I wear it once a year at a wedding, if I have to. I hate suits. I hate ties. Can you tell? That's why I got into youth ministry, people. (laughs) We can wear what we want. As soon as it gets warm, I wear shorts. I would be wearing shorts today, but I'm preaching. Otherwise, I'd be wearing shorts. Anyway, but I grew up with a mom and a dad, and I was scared of my dad. Maybe you can understand that. I was scared of my dad. Um, My dad was 39 years old when I was born, and I guess by the time I got to be old enough to kind of figure out you know, where our relationship was at, maybe have a conversation with him. He was just, he was just too tired. I don't know. My dad um, 
most of the time, I just felt like he was mad. He, there was always that sense that the anger was just right underneath the surface. And if I made him mad, it would pop out. So I tried very hard to avoid making my dad mad. But because of that, I didn't know my dad. I never had a real conversation with my father ever in my life. Um, ever. And I think that I began to believe that he didn't want to have one with me. I think that's where I was at. So then when I became a Christian, I was 21, I met Christ. I was determined in my heart, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to actually hug my dad, which was a scary thought. I'd never seen him hug anybody. Um, He was not a hugger. You ever tried to hug somebody that's not a hugger? I have a good friend, Colin. He's like one of my best friends in the world, British guy. You hug him, it's like hugging a tree. There's no arms coming back. There's no hug back. It's just like, he's just like, just get it over with, hug me, and then walk away. I hate every second of this. He, he's not a hugger. He's a servant. He'll do anything in the world for you, but hug you. Not happening. Back rubs are out with him, by the way. Totally out. I love back rubs. He's, yeah, he loves golf. So, um, so I was determined I'm going to give my dad a hug, and I'm going to tell my dad I love him. I was determined. I was at university, and I was going to come back. And then um, my dad had a heart attack, and he died when I was 21. And I was devastated, and I was mad at God because I wanted to fix this. I wanted to make it right, and I couldn't. Now he's gone. What do I do with that? And so I spent a year, I was at university, I didn't even know what the word depression meant, but I went into a deep hole, big hole, and I slept through all my classes, failed an entire term at university. That is not the best way to get your GPA up, by the way, not the best way. Just failed all my classes and I didn't care, I was in a hole. And by the way, it was my mom who rescued me. It's my mom who got me out, her grace that she showed me. And um, then in the middle of that, it was 1988, I'll never forget. I, I have, you hear people talk about hearing from the Lord. I heard this you know, voice from the Lord. Well, I didn't hear a voice. That's crazy. If anybody says they heard Michael, then that's run. Don't talk to those people anymore. That's, that did not happen. I'm not saying that. Michael. No, that didn't happen. But I heard in my heart enough. And here's what the Lord told me. (laughs) Amazing, right? He said, Michael, you are going to get married one day, because I was worried about that. You will have kids one day, 1988, and you will have a son one day. Clear as I am alive, the Lord told me that. And so in obedience, you know what I did? something a little crazy. I started writing letters to my wife and to my kids in 1988. And I just faithfully wrote them letters on a regular basis. Hey, I'm thinking about you and I'm praying about you and I can't wait to meet you one day. And um, it wasn't until seven years later that I met Beth Ann, 1995. And I had been writing her letters for seven years. And I kept writing her letters even after that. And the day that we got married on our honeymoon, I gave her the very first letter I ever wrote her in 1988. Just to remember, God's faithful. 
Then we got married and we tried to have kids for a long time. I wanted to have kids. And I think partly because I wanted to do better than I felt like my dad had done. I wanted to make it up, fix something. But we couldn't have kids for a long time. We saw lots of doctors. We just tried lots of different things. We prayed a lot. We had lots of people pray over us. And I know exactly how it feels to be sitting there thinking somebody's up there doing a baby get dedication and you, you're feeling bad that you're mad at them. Like, yeah, baby dedication. Right? I know how that feels. I felt that for a long time. But then, are you ready for this? So my dad was 39 when I was born. I'm 39 years old and we have our first child. 39, have our first child. Ready for this? Crazy. 15 years ago today. 15 years ago today. Yeah, Maddie's back there hiding behind the, camp, the computer because she was born 15 years ago today. It's her birthday. Yeah, I know, right? Yes. And I, I, I thought, mistakenly, I was sitting there at the, you know, the receiving end. <laughs> By the way, I had some friends. As I just, I hope you guys don't mind. I'm American. We just share everything, you know. I'm there at the receiving end. I had some friends tell me, like, when the baby's being born, just stay up towards the top end. Just don't go down there. You don't want to be down there. Too crazy down there. They were right, by the way. It was too crazy down there. Don't do, don't do that, people. But I'm down there on the receiving end, 12 hours of labor later. That's a whole other story. And the baby comes out, and I'm waiting for my son. Here comes the son. Here we go. And, uh, and the cord is between her legs. So I'm like, well, move the cord. I can't quite see what's going on here, people. And then they move the cord and I'm like, hold on. Something's missing. What What just happened? And they're like, it's a little girl. I'm like, is it? Are you sure? Yes, little girl. Okay, good. I'm confused, Lord. Just like, I didn't say first. You'd have a girl, a boy first. So I'm like, okay. So then, I'll tell you guys this. So when we're having McKenna, I actually went to the nurse and said, I need to know what we're having. <laughs> I don't want to be surprised or disappointed again. I want to be ready to go. And, she, and, and Bethann didn't want to know. So I knew that McKenna was going to be a girl and no one else on the planet knew other than the nurse, of course. And uh, I kept it a secret. I'm terrible with secrets, by the way, but I kept that one. Beth Ann was convinced, by the way, that the way I acted, that it was a boy. So I did good. And then, then, uh, 44 years old, and we find out we're pregnant again. And uh, I go and ask, and they say, and I say, again, can you please tell me? Beth Ann doesn't want to know. And they're like, what? I'm like, I'm just telling you. It's okay. Tell me. Don't tell her. And then that's when they said, you're having a son. And I was done. I had to go in the bathroom and do that so Beth Ann didn't know what was going on. And as my kids have grown up, 
I, I tell them I love them every day. I hug them every day. Matter of fact, I tell them I love them so much, they're like, Dad, seriously, we, we got it. You love us. You do not have to wake us up each morning with a kiss and a hug and I love you. Just let me wake up. Especially McKenna. I'm in there kissing her. She's like, yeah, whatever. Just get out of my room. Please. I'm wearing her out. Um, but I do that because that's what I wish somebody had done for me. I do that because I'm crazy about them. And I, I can't believe I get the privilege of being a dad. I'm so grateful. And so I say to Maddie, you're my favorite eldest daughter. You guys ever done that? Everybody's your favorite something, right? You're my favorite eldest daughter. McKenna, you're my favorite person named McKenna. I say that one a lot. You're my favorite McKenna on the planet. Don't I, McKenna? She's like, yeah, yeah. But then I say to MB, you are my favorite son. And he's like, Dad, I'm your only son. I'm like, I know, but you're still my favorite. Just live with that. And um, I actually did a counseling class this year, and I met with a counselor, and he said, yeah, of course you say that to your son, because you wish your dad had said that to you, or something like it. And he's right. This is so personal to me. So I, I love being a dad. I'm so grateful I get to be a dad. I want to be the best dad I can be, because we need good dads. Oh, I had a picture of my family, just to let you know. Here's, here's one. I got two. Here's one picture. Thanks, Maddie. Sorry. I surprised her. I told her I would give her more warning than that, but that's not it. Um, and I love it. I love being a dad. And I love our little family. That, by the way, was Beth Ann's cousin in one shot. Just jump in the air. Let's see what we get. That's what we got. I was like, did you mean to do that? She just did a burst. There we go. In St. Albans at the park. Um, here's the deal. Let me just close up with this. Ephesians 5 says this, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church by laying down his life. We need husbands and we need dads who will lay down their lives for their families. We need them bad. When we first got married, I thought being the leader, I was told, you know, you're the spiritual leader of this family. I'm like, okay. I thought that meant that I had to be in charge, that I had to have all the ideas, that I was, you know, I had to make all the decisions. That's not what it means, by the way, at all. Here's what it, I've come to learn that it means. To be the leader means to be the first one to say you're sorry. It means to be the first one to say, I'm, I messed up. Will you forgive me? It means to be the first one to say, why don't, we, why don't we get on our knees and why don't we pray? And why don't we ask God to help us? It means to be the one to say, what's your love language? Acts of service? Okay, I'll go wash the dishes. You go watch your movie. It means you serve and sacrifice and love your family with all of your heart. That's what it means. We need dads who will serve. We need dads who will initiate. By the way, dads, Bethany and I got married. 
we were, we were long distance. We got married so we could actually date. We did it backwards. We, we, da- we were long distance, so once we finally got married, then we could start dating. Like, hey, let's go on a date. We need dads and we need husbands who will initiate. You know, it's too easy to be like, I've won my bride and now... You know, I told you I loved you at the wedding. If it changes, I'll let you know. You know, we need to abandon that idea, right? We need dads who are like, let's go on a date. Let me take you out on a date. Let me initiate something for you, you know? Not wait till Christmas Eve to buy her Christmas gift, but plan ahead. And ultimately, we need dads and husbands who will love their wives the way Christ loved the church. Somebody told me this, and I think, it's the, I think it's exactly right. The greatest gift, if you're a man in here and you are a dad and you're a husband, the greatest gift you can give your wife is a healthy relationship with Jesus, that you are passionately in love and following Jesus. That's the greatest gift you can give your wife. Spend time with Jesus. Grab a hold of him and hold on to him. And the greatest gift you can give your kids is that you deeply love their mom. Deeply love their mom. Your kids need to see you kiss your wife. My kids are like, Dad. But secretly they're going, that's awesome. (laughs) Secretly. Even though McKenna is shaking her head and Maddie's shaking her head, do not, just ignore both of them because they love it. They want to see you holding your wife's hand. I remember when we first moved here, Beth Ann and I would walk around holding hands, and they're like, are you guys dating? We're like, no, we're married. They're like, what? Married people don't hold hands? That's what all the kids in Hartford thought. We're like, yes, they do, and they should. Date your mate, people. Initiate love, sacrifice. And for all of us in the room, here's what I would say, final, final thought, and then we're going to pray. Celebrate, encourage, support the men around you. We need you to celebrate us. We need your support. We need your encouragement. I'm as only as good a dad as, as Beth Ann and I can be a dad and a mom together. I promise you that. She makes me so much better. And I try my very best to love her and serve her. We need your support. We need your cheering us on. We need a reminder that it's good to be a man. And it's good to be a dad and it's good to be a husband. Can we do that for our men and pray for them and cheer them on? Thank you. So I'm going to pray. And what I'm going to do, Aunt just said, great idea, is I'm going to pray a blessing on the men and all the guys. And then after that, if you want to be prayed for, if you want some prayer ministry, whether you're a man or a woman, doesn't matter, you want to be prayed for, We'll have people up here who will pray for you, okay? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, for the dads in the room here on Father's Day, we pray a blessing, a reminder that they have a Heavenly Father in you, that they are loved, that they are needed We pray that they would love their wives and they would love their kids the way you loved the church, by laying down your life, by serving, by forgiving, by asking for forgiveness, by sacrificing, by praying.
praying that they would know that they are loved and needed, that they would be encouraged. We pray for all the men in the room, whether they're dads or they get to be a mentor or a big brother or a friend to somebody else, that they would know that they are blessed and loved and needed and useful and believed in as well, and that they too have a heavenly Father who loves them and cheers them on and is with them wherever they go. We pray for the men, all of the men, and we pray for the young men, the men who are upstairs right now in Sunday school who are being taught what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus, that they would be encouraged and know that they are loved as well. We're so grateful that you are our heavenly Father. You are perfect and loving, and we can follow you, and we can run to you as your children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.